what to do while you wait. What to do while you wait. I've chosen for our anchor text, Luke chapter number five. We'll begin reading at verse number five. I'm sorry, Luke chapter one. We'll begin reading at verse number five. Uh, you can follow along on the screens. Uh, our media team, they always do a fantastic job. Uh, but also you can follow along on uh, version if you have the version Bible app. Our notes are available there and you can follow along there. Luke chapter one, beginning at verse number five. As we look to the text, let me give you a quick working definition for what Advent is. I'm revisiting something I shared with you last week, but it bears repeating. Advent is simply defined as expectant, Waiting, waiting with great expectation or expectancy, waiting with great hope. In fact, the word hope is defined as joyful, confident expectation. Anybody got some joyful, confident expectation that God's going to do what he said he would do in your life? Yeah, that's good news. Waiting is not idleness. That while you wait... For the things that you have entrusted to God, do so with joyful, confident expectation that God will do what he promised. That's what Advent is. Expectant waiting. Uh, It also carries the idea of anticipation and preparation. Come on, somebody. Again, waiting is not idleness, that while you wait, the evidence of your hope is defined by what you do while you wait. Come on, somebody. I'm trying to help you now. I'm trying to help me. That waiting doesn't mean do nothing. While you wait, prepare, because the proof of desire is in pursuit. You show me and you show God how much you believe in what you hope for by what you do while you're waiting. Hmm? I believe it was Bob Knight who said, there's one thing that's greater than the will to win, and that is the will to prepare to win. Most of us just think that life is automatic, that I can simply throw out a prayer to God and watch God do everything. But in Advent, we don't just wait. We hustle while we wait. We prepare while we wait. I, I think I'm getting ahead of myself, but I got to say this. It just seems like the right time to say this. Y'all ready for this? Don't confuse procrastination with patience. Putting it off. Let me say it this way. Putting off till tomorrow what you should be doing today is not patience. That is procrastination. And there is an element of preparation that goes hand in hand with waiting for an appointed time. And you've heard me quote Abraham Lincoln here repeatedly. And I've I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, because good old honest Abe Lincoln said, I will study, I will prepare, my time will come. What 
while we wait. And let's, let's pull this whole conversation out of the context of Christmas for a while. What are you waiting on? What have you been waiting on? And what have you been doing to prepare for what you've been waiting for? Because the worst time to learn how to swim is when you're drowning. Can we have some real talk this morning, City Church? (laughs) Because we have brought ourselves to believe that waiting on God means do nothing. When that is so far from the truth. Can I help you with that a little bit? For the Bible scholars in the room, uh, how long did Jesus walk the face of the earth? Uh, 33 years, right? How long was his earthly ministry? How long did he prepare? It's amazing how when you read Scripture, that the seasons of preparation always eclipse. (laughs) No, if I were to tell this story, I would say Jesus prepared three years for 30 years of ministry because we want it all and we want it all now. And we want this longevity and we want to put little time into preparation, but we want to have extended time living in the manifestation. Yet Jesus invested 30 years of his life waiting for only three years of public ministry. And most of us find ourselves waiting and we think that waiting time is wasted time. Waiting time is only wasted time if you do nothing with the time you've been given. And you've heard this said before, that opportunity only favors the prepared. Oh, boy. It only favors the prepared. So what if you find yourself this morning where Jesus found himself for the first 30 years of his life? I'm trying to help somebody this morning. Because waiting can be a very frustrating place especially when you know the purpose for which you were created. (laughs) Can I I back it up a little bit? Waiting can be a frustrating place, especially when you know what you're working with. No, no, no. Waiting can be very frustrating when you know that you got the goods, but it's not time yet for anybody to know what you got. And you sit on it for 30 years. Oh, let let me roll it. No, you don't sit on it. You develop it. Mm -hmm. In the waiting period, there's three things you're supposed to be doing. Number one, you're supposed to discover what you got. Most of us never get to that place where we discover the riches and the treasure that God has deposited in us, man. We really don't know. Check this out. I have turned my job into a mission field, y'all. Man, it's been so cool because now I live with this greater awareness of the need for evangelism. Yeah, yeah, I know I go there to, do a, to work and they give me a paycheck. But just yesterday I had this conversation with a guy who came over to me and started talking. And he said, yeah, man, um, 
starts whispering and said, yeah, um, I only been in the place in a month and a half, man. People already trusted me with their business. <laughs> so we're sitting there and he's whispering to me, saying, yeah, I can't tell anybody this yet, but um, <clears throat> I don't think I'm going to be here much longer. I said, really, why? He said, man, here comes the, 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 the family history. He said, my dad loved us. Come on, somebody. When you start with that line, you know it's going somewhere. But he never allowed us to follow our dreams. His biggest concern was that we would go into a profession where we could make money. And he says, I'm here at this job, and he's in security. That's big, big dollars. I'm talking about network security. I ain't talking about, you know, mall cop stuff. <laughs> this ain't Paul Blart. This is network security, and, and especially with all the hacking and all that kind of stuff that's going on. Dude's making big dollars. And we're having this conversation. And for the first time in his life, he's about to transition into something where he's made a whole lot of money into something that he's passionate about. Uh, there was a reason I was sharing that story, but I don't even remember why I brought up that story now. It was good, though. It was connected. Somebody help me. Oh, discovery. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Thank you. Somebody's been listening. Somebody's been Hey, to Andrea. So for the first time in his life, he's realizing why he was created. You've heard me say this here before. Who you are is not for you to decide. It's for you to discover. Because who you are and what you were created to accomplish is God-appointed, not self-assumed. God decided that a long time ago. And this guy is finally coming to the realization that there is something more important than just making money. It is about living out the reason for which he was created. While you wait, while you wait, <laughs> while you wait, you got to discover the purpose for which you were created. Let me tell you why I said it's a frustrating thing. Remind me, Andrea, to come back to the other two. Discover is the first one. Jesus is 12 years old. His family, they all go up to the temple. After they offer their sacrifices, the family moves on. They're so busy about the hustle and bustle of doing what they always do their routine and their schedule that they leave 12-year-old Jesus behind. Can you imagine? I've got a 13-year-old daughter, almost 14. Come to church, leave church and go about my business, and then finally, oh, where's Nia? That's what they did with Jesus. Jesus was cool with it, though, because Jesus pulled up a stool sat on it and crossed his legs with all the scribes and Pharisees and held court. And there was so much wisdom coming out of this 12-year-old that it confounded the most brilliant legal and religious minds of his day. At 12 years old, Jesus' words to his parents when they found him was, I must be about my father's business. Somebody say discovery. Jesus already knew at 12 years old why, why he was created, but he sat on it for 18 more years. You got to develop it. 
It's one thing to discover what you got. Because everything that God gives us, he gives us in seed form. But after you have discovered the seed of greatness, you must now develop the seed. Because after you have developed developed the seed and allowed the seed to mature, you can now deploy it. What are you doing while you wait? Because most of us say, oh, yeah, I, I got this talent. And we live with this sense of entitlement. Somebody better give me this opportunity. And take very little time to develop what we've discovered. What are you doing with the time, with your time, while you wait? I hope you all hear me, though. Jesus prepared 30 years for a role that would last only three and a half. So point number one, all of that was my introduction. <clears throat> for those of you who are here with us for the first time, and uh, please be forewarned. No, I'm going to go fast because I know y'all got Christmas shopping to do. In fact, the reason most people are not here is they realize there are tens of thousands of people at church this morning, which means it's going to be easier to get in and out of the mall than it usually is. I thought you were going to get a bigger laugh out of that, but thank you for the, for the prolonged, extended laugh. Y'all doing okay? Is everybody kind of relaxed today? Okay. Point number one, what to do, what to do <laughs> while you wait. I don't know, man. I just know, I, I don't know specifics, but what I do know, man, is that if we're honest with ourselves, we are all waiting on something. We're all waiting for something. And let me tell you, when it comes to God's economy, this is what waiting and patience mean. Y'all ready for this? Waiting is learning to move at somebody else's pace. That's what patience is in God's economy. Because God doesn't move at our pace, he expects us to move at his pace. And let me tell you about God's pace. It took Jesus 30 years. It took David 14 it took Joseph 13. It took Abraham 25. But that was in God's timing. We're going to revisit that idea here shortly about the timing of God. And it will help each of us put this period of waiting, this period of incubation, this period of discovery develop, and development in its proper context. Are y'all ready? So point number one, <laughs> do what you know until you know what to do. Do what you know until you know what to do. Do what you know. <laughs> Until you know what to do. You say, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? Okay, let's look to the text. Have I even read the Bible yet? 
I have not. My bad. <laughs> Let me read from the Bible so you guys know that what I'm talking about is actually biblical. Y'all ready for this? Verse 5. There was, in the, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife, come on somebody, they're talking about his pedigree now. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. This speaks of Aaron, Moses' brother, out of which came the Levitical priesthood. Pedigree, y'all. Pedigree. And her name was Elizabeth. Verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But, come on somebody, conjunction, junction, what's your function? How many of you are old enough to remember conjunction, junction? A few, few hands. How many of you will admit <laughs> that you're old enough to, okay, okay, okay. I love these conjunctions in the word of God mm? because they bring tension to two grand ideas. Say, man, you're from the right family and you vested your life in doing all the right things. You're righteous and you obey the commandments of God, but you got a situation. Doing everything right but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. <laughs> Why do bad things, y'all, happen to good people? Did everything right had the right family name, the right pedigree. Husband was a priest serving God daily in the temple. Wife's daughter was the great, 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 great granddaughter of Aaron. But there was something in their lives that was missing. Can I tell you one of the most tempting things to do while you wait? is to stop doing what you know to do. Because there's a voice in our hearts and in our minds, there are voices that we trust that will tell us, this ain't working. Hmm? Notice how long they did it. They did it their whole lives because the scripture says they were well advanced in years. There are some of us who have reached an age, man, <laughs> where we look back over our lives and we say, man, I thought this would work and I thought that would work and I thought this would work and I thought that would work and I'm still waiting. I might as well throw in the towel, man. No point. There's no evidence that this thing is working. But when God is in it, when God is in it, you keep doing what you know to do until you know what to do. They obeyed God's commandments and they walked uprightly. 
even when it seemed like serving God wasn't paying off. I'm, this is real talk now. Because if you've ever found yourself in the middle, if you've ever found yourself waiting, you've probably wrestled with that question. Is there any benefit, any use to serving God? And we resign our lives, ourselves, to lives of quiet desperation. I'm talking about the weight now. I'm talking about moving at somebody else's pace. For those of us who are control freaks, where everything in our lives must happen on our terms, on our timetable, and our way. And we don't even realize that our miracle is divinely connected to God's timetable. Listen to me. Their miracle does not exist in isolation. The reason that there is a weight, as we will discover from the text, is because their miracle is connected to the miracle that God is about to give Mary and Joseph. And until Mary and Joseph are ready, Zacharias and Elizabeth cannot have their miracle because the child that he's about to give them is John the Baptist, who is going to become the forerunner to Jesus, his cousin. And if Mary and Joseph ain't ready, baby, I love you, but I can't give you a miracle yet because I need for your miracle to be the impetus for your cousin Mary to believe for her miracle. That if you did it for Zacharias and Elizabeth, when they were well advanced in years, when it was a physiological and biological impossibility, when if you did it for them, you can do it for me. Their miracles happen six months apart. And some of us are waiting. Not because we did something wrong, but because what God desires to do in my life is inextricably linked to what he's about to do in somebody else's life. I'm talking about moving at somebody else's pace. I said, Lord, why does my miracle have to be determined or defined by what's happening in their house? Have you ever felt that way? Do what you know to do until you know what to do. Be faithful in what you're doing now as they were faithful. Notice what the text says. They were both righteous before God, walking in all his commandments, and they were blameless. Even with their disappointment, God, we're doing everything right. Can you just show up for me because you know how much, how desperately we want this? Silence. And he got to go back to the temple again and offer sacrifices. Silence. Year after year after year after year. One of the greatest discoveries I've made in my life is that serving God is a marathon, not a sprint. Can I continue to trust God and serve God 
in the midst of my disappointments. Listen to what Joyce Meyer says. Joyce Meyer says that patience is not simply the ability to wait. It's how we behave while we're waiting. Our attitude while we wait. Our attitude while we wait. Our actions while we wait. I chose to tell this story because when we think about Christmas, nobody talks about Zacharias, really. But there's powerful lessons for each of us this morning. I'm about to wrap up. Point number two. Woo! This is a tough one. Y'all ready for this one? (laughs) What do I do while I'm waiting? I want you to hear this now. Help others in your time of pain. Not their time of pain. Yes, that's good. (laughs) But while you're hurting, while you're disappointed, while you're in pain, help others. Now listen to what the scripture says that Zacharias continued to do. Uh, Verse 9, so it was, listen to me, so it was while he was doing what? Serving. While he was serving, disappointed, frustrated, maybe had a lot of questions. What was he doing? He was serving. No, notice, he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division. According to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple. I wish I had time to exegete the text because this whole language about his time as a priest and how the lots were cast. This was a a statistical miracle that he was where he was when he was there. I wish I had time to talk about it, but let me just say this. Let me just say this. It can be a frustrating thing. Praying for others. While your prayers go unanswered. Let me tell you about the role of the priest. The role of the priest was the inverse of the role of the prophet. The prophet spoke from God to man. The prophet inclined his ear to the voice of the Lord and God would speak through the prophet to man, from God to man. The role of the priest was from the people to God. Can you imagine bringing the prayers and the petitions of the people to God while your prayers are going unanswered. Not only that, bringing the prayers of the people to the priest, I mean to God, and then watching them celebrate as their prayers are answered. And yours go unanswered. And now the scripture says you're well advanced in years. That means day after day, year after year, whenever it was his turn to to serve, he brought the petitions of the people. God answered their prayers, and he still had to come to God with his prayers unanswered. (laughs) Uh, I'm talking about what to do while you wait. Can you still have the right attitude and the right heart and help others in your time of pain. 
One of the prayers I pray for myself often, y'all, is that I manage my pain well. Life is painful, y'all. And especially, it is especially painful for leaders. And those who don't manage their pain make life painful for others. I'm saying this to everybody in this room now. Those who do not manage their pain make life painful for others. And you've heard me talk about my comic book theology. Comic book theology, for those of you who grew up reading Marvel comics and DC comics, as did I, or those of you who grew up only watching Marvel and DC movies, you know that every villain starts out a victim. Okay? Was it Joker that fell in the vat of acid and came out the vat of acid and decided that he was going to make life painful for everybody else because of his pain? If I'm hurting, you're going to hurt too. And I would venture to say that most people who are villains today are people who see themselves as victims. And if I see myself as a victim, I will continue to wallow in my pain and I will choose to make life painful for others. When what we ought to do is help others. Help others in our time of pain. Notice what Dr. Robert Schuler said, Crystal Cathedral, who is now deceased. Anybody who succeeds is helping people. Y'all see that? If there is any success in life, it's usually because somebody is helping somebody. No matter how capitalistic it might sound. But the reason Mark Zuckerberg is as successful as he is is because he helped all of us connect with people and live out either our narcissistic tendencies where we want everybody to see how good our life is or our voyeuristic tendencies where we want to see how good everybody else is doing. But the reason Facebook is as successful as it is because he found a way to help people and he monetized it in the process. Your reward and my reward in life is determined by the problems I choose to solve. Okay, not sure about it. If I choose, and I'm not speaking uh, disparagingly of this, it's an honest day's work. But if I choose to solve a fast food problem, I have a certain reward. If I choose to solve legal and accounting problems, I have a certain reward. Every reward in life is determined by the problems I choose to solve. Anybody who succeeds is helping people. The secret to success is find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. Find a problem and solve it. I'm talking to you about what to do while you wait. Because the tendency that we have is to curl up in the fetal position and suck our thumb. Or get really mad at everybody else who's doing well and shake our fist at God that is not happening at our pace. I'm talking about Advent now. Advent is about expectation and waiting. What to do while we wait. Point number three. I find this really, really fascinating. Uh, the dialogue between 
Zacharias and Gabriel. But I've also, what I also find uh, equally fascinating and intriguing is Gabriel's response to Zacharias. Y'all ready for this? Let's jump into the text, and this is where I close. Point number three. Uh, verse 10 says, And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Oh, my goodness. That's a whole other thing I didn't have time to get into, but it speaks of not only prayers offered, but worship. Can I worship through my pain? Uh, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for, listen to you, listen to me, for your prayer is heard. I wish God would say this at the beginning. That Zacharias, you've been praying your whole life. I heard you, but you're going to have to wait a while. Why won't God start there? Because it's, I, I would be okay if I knew that God heard me. It would make the waiting a little bit easier because the angel showed up when I prayed and said, guess what, Zacharias? God heard you when you prayed, but it's going to be a while. Why are you going to leave me my whole life thinking and wondering whether God heard me? Can I say this to you this morning if you find yourself waiting? God heard you. God hears you. Okay. Angel says, your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And he begins to declare prophetically what this son's life will be like. And you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Can I say that your waiting will not be in vain? He will make your wait worth it. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Yeah. Whew. My goodness. If I talk about this, I know I'm going to cry. I know I'm going to cry. Only thing I'm going to say, man, is while you wait, resist the urge to resign yourself to your current circumstances. There is a reality that transcends what you're able to see and what you're able to touch and what you're able to control. Your biology, man, your biology does not have the final answer when God is in it. Your finances, your education, 
will not be the lid on your life when God is in it. Don't quit now. Verse 19 says, And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. Notice this is coming from the very presence of God. (laughs) This came from the very throne room of God. And it's one thing to know that the story is being told, but here's what blows my mind when you are a part of the story. Zacharias has been waiting for this Messiah like every other Israelite. But now he finds himself in the story of Messiah. And the same is true for everyone in this room. We are a part of God's story. Don't create an alternate ending. For those of us who watch movies on DVD and we go to the, what's it called, special features, and we watch the movie and we say, let let me go check out the alternate ending. Because I don't like the way the movie ended here, so let me change the ending. That's what most of us do prematurely. We select an alternate ending. And I promise you, I'm done. Look at verse 20, or verse 19. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Look at verse 20. But behold, you will be mute. And not able to speak until the day these things take place. (laughs) Because he didn't believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. While you wait, do all the other stuff. But make sure you are framing your world with your words. The scripture says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. The reason the angel, of all the things he could have done, the reason the angel shut Zachariah's mouth was because the angel and God knew the power of words. That we can frame our world and even negate and nullify what God is trying to do in our lives with our words. Shut him up for nine months because he didn't want for his words to abort God's plan. What are you saying while you wait? I'm talking to somebody now. Is it woe is me? This will never happen. God uh, doesn't love me. We frame our world with our words. Genesis, Hebrews 11.3 says that God framed the world with his words. He created it all. Let there be. Let there be. Let there be. Uh, the women just came back from a conference with Caroline Leaf. And she talked extensively about the power, the life-giving power of our words. There have been, uh, there's research that shows where in Japan, where they had two groups of kids, and they had two plants. And every morning, one group of kids would come into the room and speak kind words to the plant. And they would play classical music to the plant. And the plant grew and flourished. The other group of kids would come and just shout nasty things at this other plant, and they played all this raging, destructive, I won't say the genre so you don't get mad at me, raging, destructive music, and the plant died. This ain't Pastor Ray making it up. There is life 
in the words that we speak. Life-giving power. Jesus said the words I speak, they are spirit and they are life. Guard your words while you wait because you will have what you say. Notice what, uh, 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 notice what uh, Proverbs 18, 21 says, and then I'm done. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. If you speak life, you will eat the fruit of life in your life, in your circumstances, over the things you're waiting on. If you speak death, you will reap and eat the fruit of death. In the New Living Translation, it says the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. This is the Bible. This is the word of God. And we have to ask ourselves sometimes, why is this not working? Check what you're saying. Check what you're saying. Because faith is voice activated. The psalmist said, I believed, therefore have I spoken. You can always check where somebody is by the words that's coming out of their mouth. Jesus said, out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. So you can tell me all day you in faith, all I need to do is just sit there and listen to you long enough while you wait, and the words that are coming out of your mouth will betray what is truly in your heart. The angel shut Zacharias up for nine months and said, you ain't going to say a word that's going to delay what God wants to do. Let me read it from the message, and I'm going to pray. <laughs> it says, words kill, and words give life. They're either poison or fruit, you choose. While you wait, what's coming out your mouth? What are you saying about your situation or your circumstances while you wait? The best things in life are often waiting for you at the exit ramp of your comfort zone. So this Advent, while you wait, this is where I close, while you wait, uh, the moment you, you, you take that exit ramp from your comfort zone, while you wait, check this out, embrace life delays and detours uh, while you wait patiently and expectantly for the fulfillment of your destiny. God has heard you. God did hear you. And he will meet you at the appointed time. Let's pray. Father, this Advent we come to you. And Lord, you know each of us.